Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. got to the park and it looks like the birds are gone. I was here yesterday and they were trying to capture them and um, I think there were four left. There were four or there was four? I really don't know how to use was and were. But anyway, and then I just walked over here and I found a key. It's a sign from the universe. I have the key to unlock the universe. I'll just leave it there in case somebody's looking for it, but... If I was really manic, I would take it, probably put it on my necklace. But I'm not. And... Yeah, it's been an interesting couple of days. I... I was super, super tired yesterday. So first thing I want to talk about today is how I now do have a ticket to the event with the spiritual master I studied with 10 years ago when he was here last. He's from Malaysia. And I guess um, somebody else, one one person who I met there, who probably doesn't remember me, they emailed me and said, oh, there's no tickets. You can be 20th in line for cancellation, so it's not likely that you'll get a ticket. And then somebody else emailed me and said, oh, I'm going to forward your email to that same person that already emailed me. And I said, oh, they already emailed me and said, there's no ticket and I wrote a bit of a blurb about my struggles and said um, some of the stuff I remember experiencing with this enlightened master years ago and that I did you know the discipline one class of his in person years ago and I guess I had mentioned I listened to a recent talk on his online portal thing and so I just got an email saying Oh, we had a cancellation for the public talk and since you've done discipline one and listened to talks we're gonna give it to you so <laughs> you know I just bumped myself up from 20th to first and here I was thinking that I wasn't going to be able to go and I have to work some stuff out with my schedule to be able to go but now that I have a ticket I'm gonna try to go no matter what just to say sort of thank you. It's like this 10-year cycle coming to completion in a way. And years ago when this craziness was all happening before I was diagnosed, I was talking with him in the online portal. It's kind of like his own little social um, portal thing. And he was saying, Oh, this could be an awakening experience. 
Um, and he said different things like, don't push, let it come to you, blah, blah, blah. So he was trying to sort of coach me through it, but I fell into this whole mental health paradigm. And I don't think that was not supposed to happen. I think it was supposed to happen. So then I can learn how to help other people who have their awakening process pathologized and help them get back to the process of awakening. Because it takes often a lot of pain and suffering before one realizes that one has to awaken or before awakening happens. It's like, I can't take any more of this life that I'm living and a different energy starts to come in. It's really com complicated. I've been talking to myself about it for years, but point being, you know, he was talking with me for the two months before I was hospitalized and, and sort of trying to help me, but I totally fell out of it and then I just went through the mental health paradigm and um, I did try to contact him years later, but he didn't reply. So I just figured, oh, well, he left me to my own devices. And I remember him saying too, don't make me into a person. So whatever this whole master thing is, it's not really... Um, I don't think it's a person. It's like meeting the universe. The universe is the teacher and, you know, the quote master. And I wouldn't even say it's a person or a thing. It's sort of the algorithm of of mastery and and self-mastery and mastering the universe. So, um, and over the years I've checked in on his his portal thing and seen like him say things that make it seem like he doesn't have it all figured out either. Um, and when I was talking to him, he's like, yeah, that happens to me too. I haven't figured that out. So he was talking from a level of um, shoulder to shoulder or like, yeah, we're kind of dealing with the same craziness here and, and we haven't really figured it out. So anyway, um, it seems like I will be able to go see him talk and meet him. I could have done this thing where I did this other online course and then stayed and did a pers an in-person retreat with him, but I'll be off to California and I don't want to delay that. And plus it was, you know, it's, it's expensive and I'm not against that per se, but for me, my path is more about creating my own dreams and not necessarily um, listening to an authority. Uh, I think sometimes there's an authority that, that contacts me and is the author of the words that I say. So I think I'm integrating the same thing that he has, but he's been at it for probably like 30 or 40 years and I've been at it for seven. Probably 30 years for him, but so it's more like approaching him as a as a friend, as an equal. I remember him even saying that, like, one day we'll meet as friends. And I, I understand that. So it's hard to get into what I understand of that whole thing. But it's cool that now I will have an opportunity to to meet him and, and say hi and thank you and, and all of that. And then I'll be off, that's on the 11th, and then I'll be off to California. So, so it's awesome. Um, this morning I was thinking, oh, maybe I wrote kind of stupid stuff in that email. 
because I kind of was like, I think I'm one of the fallen ones that doesn't really deserve or isn't able to resonate with his teachings. Because in his recent talks, he says, like, he's going to help certain people that he thinks he can help, but not everyone. And um, he said he's going to start being a little bit more, like, harsh to, like, see if we can not react or be hurt or whatever. So anyway, I don't know if I'm necessarily one of his people, but... I feel like he did do something to play a role in initiating me into that craziness. Because I did have an experience when I was in the crazy experience for the two months before I was diagnosed, hospitalized, pathologized. I remember trying to sleep and then waking up, but, and I could hear him talking to me. Like I was listening to music, it felt like it was coming through the speakers or something. And I would like, kind of scared and crying but I don't remember a word he said but I remember very clearly I heard him say my name there was a wasp I heard him say my name and then he was saying something but um, you know that could be like a delusion or something but I'm just trying to say that he was partly a part of that process and I and I was listening to a recent talk by him online, and he was talking about uncaused celebration. And I really think that that's what mania is. It's celebration without a cause. And that's why people start to think we're kind of crazy, is because they feel like we need a specific reason to be that happy. And those reasons would be within the realm of the societal constructs of what should make a person happy which is usually some point in the future so the last thing I want to say about what Dion Vimal said about something in his talk on uncaused celebration just a little snippet of what he said really caught my attention. It was near the end of the talk, and he said, I don't know if this is my geniusness or my madness. I just need one song, and I can see 1,001 million things in it. When I read, that's how it is. When I hit one thing, I realize a thousand things. You guys, you read the thing, and the next day, you think, did I read that? There's a big difference between you and me, man. In you, it didn't even record. And I might say the word register instead of record, because we don't really need to record it as much as register it. But anyway, my point being, this is what happens to me all the time, and why I've had to limit my information intake over time, because I read something and I see so much in that one little thing. And that's likely holographic so that's all about that for now point being that in that mode of perception one gets a lot more information out of what one really perceives which is an insight so an insight is that more information whereas thought is like a one-to-one -one ratio and yesterday I was so tired it's the most tired I've ever been in months and it happened because I took half a Zoplicone because I wanted to sleep better because 
I didn't sleep the greatest on Thursday night or Wednesday night. Um, I can't remember about Saturday, but I was, I didn't quite get enough sleep on Saturday. So I took half a Zoplicone to sort of knock myself out, but then I only slept nine hours. I set my alarm because I wanted to get up, go for breakfast with somebody. And after that, I did a bit of a walk at this park with them and then I was so tired I couldn't do anything. So I just laid around and watched Downton Abbey, which was fine. And then because I was so tired, I went to bed at nine. I usually go to bed between 11 and midnight. So I went to bed at nine and I woke up at 9.30. So I slept, I slept over 12 hours or about 12 hours which makes me feel like I've had enough sleep when I take those meds. Otherwise, the meds are still sort of doing their thing and making me sleepy and I haven't had a full night's sleep. So that's good to know. And I shouldn't have to wake up early too much in September anyway. But also yesterday, I didn't have any coffee or caffeine, except maybe a bag of Yorkshire tea and then I didn't take tyrosine, I didn't take DLPA, I didn't take SAMI, I didn't take methylfolate. So today uh, I took all of those and because I sort of had my tired day and did the tired thing and today I'm amping it up again because I think a lot of creativity does sort of burn out the brain and make the body tired. It's almost like so much energy is put into creativity that the body kind of runs out of energy. So it's good to know that I can fluctuate these different supplements and have a certain effect. And when I see my doctor, I'm going to see if I can get more Zoplicone because I heard about somebody who's been taking it for years. So if I only have to take half or a quarter every night for a while, that's not so bad. So I might just ask for enough to get me through for a while longer. And so I'm feeling pretty caught up in general. I need to study for facilitating this month and there's one thing I need to write a summary of that I was supposed to do a long time ago. And sell my old car and get ready to go like buy health insurance and get some US dollars and figure out the SIM card thing and stuff like that so yeah I feel like with the week by myself I was able to get some of the talking out of my system and Really, a lot of this month is going to be practical and getting ready to go. And that's fun to get ready to go. Like, it feels like soon I'll be on my way. So, so that should be relatively fun. It's all objective sort of stuff. And had a few insights into a little bit of a different way of looking at some of this. I might have talked to myself about it at some point, but maybe not exactly like this. 
and I'll talk more about it sitting down but and looking at my notes but for now I was realizing in a way that when one goes into an altered state of consciousness there's a lot of energy coming into the system like the human system whether it's biological psychological consciousness whatever it's a lot of energy and I've talked to myself a lot in the past about how it seems like this energy is helping to grow new brain cells or change the way the brain works to make it more neurofluid as opposed to neuroplastic. Plastic means like I might change my repetitive thoughts from one set of content to another and create these new neural tracks. But the fluidity is like the brain changes every microsecond to adapt to fully contacting this moment. The, the neuroplastic tracks, those still prevent us from contacting the moment because those are based on the self and self-consciousness. So it's putting the energy into self-consciousness, which makes us feel like we're divided and a separate observer. We don't feel like we're a participatory observer. And so I was realizing that this would require some kind of fat metabolism because the brain is mostly fat and and I was thinking about how you know if we're fully perceiving in the moment like the light coming into our eyes and in direct contact that will change the brain in terms of fully perceiving the moment but if we're not like if we're looking if we're looking at the scenery absorbing it fully it changes the brain fluidly but if we're looking down, it's almost like a neuro-linguistic programming where if we're in the moment, but we're looking at the self in terms of the neural tracks of thought, we're not in contact with the moment. So when we're not in contact with the moment, we're not able to accept the fuel and the energizing quality of directly perceiving the moment. So we're stuck in these habitual thoughts we're not perceiving. So like, where's that energy going? It's not going into growing the brain cells to be in contact with the moment because the brain is somewhere else in thoughts about the self. So then I realized if this um, perception of the moment, the light, the energy and the vibration and the interference patterns of the hologram of the actual moment touch the brain cells that interference would pattern would match the patterns that are going on in the brain and since each moment is so different and new like each step we take each moment we live and breathe there's so much more information so much new information of course unless we're sort of letting the brain fill in the patterns which we like to do when we're lost in thought. Um, and that's a lot, that's partly where we get a lot of the energy to from is the brain stops filling in patterns because it's not lost to the moment. You know, if we're, if we're thinking, if we're lost in our personal thoughts and self thoughts, our self consciousness, the brain naturally has to fill all this in and we're not really in contact with it.
but we can be more in contact with it. And when we are, that's when we can notice the beauty of it. Of course, we can't notice the beauty of it when we're lost in thoughts of self-consciousness. So, perce perceiving the moment, having one's full peripheral vision capacity um, available, because the focal point of the eyes isn't changing because we're lost in thought. Like, you can literally think of being lost in self-consciousness as like eyes always turned up and we're not really looking or possibly eyes pointed down. And the way we change our eyes, you know, they talk about neuro-linguistic programming, but there could be part of that where it's, you know, neuro-perceptive unprogramming, not programming a self, but perceiving the moment, the beauty of the moment. But anyway, perceiving the moment actually as it is in full view it feels kind of like 3d it feels strange it is 3d but when we perceive the moment that has something to do with fat metabolism in the brain and i think part of what happens is there's so much energy in these upper chakras and it's going into creating and changing the brain um, that's part of what happens in altered states of consciousness the brain changes the way it perceives. So what I'm trying to get at is that I was seeing that a possible mechanism of psychopharmaceuticals and tranquilizers and things is that it lowers the energy or it shunts the energy to the lower chakras of like living in survival, which is most of the programming of how we're raised to live to survive, not to thrive and be creative and have uncaused celebration. So what happens is the medications act as sort of a shunt to shunt the energy from going into the brain and the fat metabolism needed for neurofluidity to literally that energy gets translated into fat on the body because it has something to do with fat metabolism. Fat in the brain you know, good fats and the brain doing all the good fatty things that it does. Or, people literally can gain 50 pounds in a month. Now, how is that possible when they're not necessarily taking in that much energy of food? They probably are taking in a bit more for sure. But not enough to really put all that weight on. Like, where are all those calories coming from? Where is all that energy coming from? Well, one could realize that if one has gotten in contact with this extra energy of the universe that is trying to energize a fat metabolism in the brain to change the way the brain operates based on the light of perception in the moment versus the projection of repetitive thoughts and sounds that keep us living in a habit. So when that happens, that energy goes to the fat of the body is extra energy of the universe and you know the energy that is created when the light of perception meets the light of the moment you know it's C squared one of the C's is the light of the Sun the other the C is our light um, you know meeting that light we are a light and there's the light of the Sun that created our light but 
to me, I've never seen it that way that that's part of what happens is all that extra energy that's going into perception of the moment that would lead us to create a new new world and a new way of life. It gets stored as fat. And part of the reason it gets stored as fat is because we don't know how to share that energy. And so sharing the energy is the energy of the light of perception of the moment creates insight, new thought, new memes. If it's a new moment, we can get new information. And the thing is, if we're trying to store it to our memory, like remember it, instead of sharing it, if the brain is working based on this storing information algorithm, then that information, when it's shunted by the tranquilizers, gets stored as information in the body like fat cells. Because one thing I notice is when I shift into the energy being shunted back into the brain, I get slimmer because the energy of the fat on my body kind of is storage for that. It's not storage for the energy of survival, but the energy of those memes. And that's partly why I feel that we're kind of seeds for that new way of looking and living and perceiving and acting. But when we're not able to live that way, When we're not able to live that way, we're still seeds of that, and we have this layer of fat, kind of like seeds do too. They have fat and protein, and they're like a seed of a, a beautiful flower. And the seed in no way reflects what the beautiful flower looks like. So people, they become like seeds in this frozen, preserved state, and when the conditions are right, they can begin to manifest as the flowering of human consciousness. So, in a way, if a person goes on meds and, and gains weight, that, that fat energy isn't necessarily for when there's no food, but it's for when it's stored so that brain can use that energy when it comes to mimetic sharing and sharing one consciousness. Um, but I feel that if we don't store, if we try to forget instead of remember, that could help with the whole weight problem a little bit. I don't know if any of this is making sense, but it seems, too, that the tranquilizers divert the energy into the lower chakras, like down to especially um, the navel chakra, I think, the one that's about food. <laughs> so all of it goes into I'm hungry and whatever, and then it makes the body a lot fatter than 
the cal the calories taken in. You know, there's energy in calories or there's energy from food, but there's also energy in the universe. And there's energy from from perception. And the thing that's kind of symbolic from, from, you know, when there's this energy of the light of perception, we can literally run. We're so strong, and we usually get quite slim. Um, well, at least I did. But then when the tranks come in and that energy gets diverted to the body, it like slowly, literally makes it turn into molasses, and it slows it down. So it's slowed down physically as well as perceptively. So I also thought of something else that's sort of a metaphor in a way is that thought is kind of like an electric fence. So human action and human consciousness is conditioned by thought and as thought. And it keeps us in this sort of very small limited world of the self projecting, self-fulfilling kind of. And um, when we step outside of that, in mania and if we go too far into it we literally get to a point where we get a shock and then we when we get that shock we retreat and usually for me that shock is felt as fear like in the heart and that fear makes me retract and go backwards into thought you know like the brain thinks oh I could take a med or something that is part of conditioning of thought I've been conditioned to do that. Um, and it could be good conditioning for now. Um, but it does seem like it's kind of like an electromagnetic fence. And it's really hard to get out of this electromagnetic fence prison of the self. And yesterday, I was talking for a while, or the, the, the day before, and I didn't realize that I'd left the screen recording on from screen recording sweat coin. And then when I was recording, it was the first time I tried to record like this. And since I did that, I didn't notice that it was still screen recording. I didn't actually record myself. It's funny, I went into the app to record myself by pressing record but since the screen was recording it actually just recorded the screen recording and not me so there was no sound is what I'm trying to say because it was recording the screen and so I didn't even notice that the screen was recording and there could be some kind of weird metaphor in that we don't re realize that the self which is like a screen is recording everything and we're living in that recording without knowing it whereas like the camera recording would be more like actuality in a way so the, the screen is part of the brain cells and it puts up a screen in between us and actual actuality and it's sort of recording and projecting old recordings of the past so it didn't capture the sound of what I was talking about with sweat coin, which I don't really think is going to add up to that much at this point, but it's cool that 
some things are creating those types of algorithms. I was trying to say that there could be an algorithm one day in technology to help us. Like it would know if we said something that wasn't great or um, behaved in a certain gesture that wasn't ideal or something. I was saying a lot more, but it didn't get recorded, so oh well. But point being, one can get a little bit of money for wandering because it counts steps and then converts that into some kind of uh, cryptocurrency or some kind of currency that uh, one day we might have monetary value. Right now it doesn't. And I'm thinking that it won't really add up to that much. But if there are other things like that, it could, it could start to add up. So it's making me hopeful that technology could help us wander. And I don't remember if I said this, but it came to me the other day that with these types of things, with this ability to wander, make money, literally by walking in a park, it could happen that one day property has no value. Like personal property has in as in um, land with a house on it. I was thinking that it'd be interesting if there were like places to sleep, like big dorm buildings that one could sleep in. And then during the day, one just goes out and wanders, goes to the different businesses, goes to whatever. So if one doesn't have to pay thousand or $2,000 a month for a huge mortgage of land, then Think of all the money that is freed up for wandering and and creating new experiences. Like we assume this little plot of an acre or less of land with a big house on it has value, but it's possible that one day it really won't. When we think about it, we can wander almost anywhere in the world and then we say we own this one little piece with this dwelling on it, but really it becomes like a decorated prison cell. So, I think it'd be cool to create some, some dorms or something. And there are already things like this, like Airbnb and couch surfing, things like that. Craigslist that would help people wander. I guess for me, it's about starting to wander more and that's kind of what I'm going to be doing. And I bought those puppets, The I kept the dinosaur and the hummingbird, and I had some little visitors, and it's funny, they picked those things out of my space and played with them all night, practically. And there were so many other things to pick from, that, but they picked out the thing that was, that was new and played with it. So I'm glad, I'm glad I kept them, because there was uh, some playfulness from it. And that was the other thing. When I had the that 10 minute clip of me talking but no audio, I was thinking about listening to some of the old audios that I had from before I was diagnosed. And I have it in a folder called Manic Babble. Because I was really babbling, and I was... So, 
in order to put it in the video, I listened to it because I wanted to hear what it was. And I clipped out the names because I was talking about people. Clipped out the names and left the rest of it. And it's interesting because I can see the vision that I still have mixed in with it. But what it sound what sounds really different from now is that I'm not trying to create a meaningful story out of it. Or the story that I'm creating or wondering about isn't only about me. Because I was kind of like, well, this happened and this person gave me this and that means this and blah, 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 blah. And I was talking really fast and making all these associations to the self, to me, which I don't do anymore really. At least I don't do it in... Uh, in a really connected way. Like I saw that key today, I'm like, oh, look, it's a key to the universe. But I'm not saying, well, since I found this key and yesterday I saw there were no batteries in this device and blah, 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 like making a story about me. So now I realize there is no me. So the story is really about all of humanity. I'm wandering, so I think, I've never listened to that. I've never listened to that since that time. It was before I was hospitalized, which was March 15th, 2011. And this first audio I put in was, mm, no wait, May 15th, 2011. I don't know if I said May or March. And, um, the audio was from March 26th and I think that state had been going on for a while before I started recording myself talking. So it was kind of interesting to listen to because it points to the difference between now and then and there's similarities but there are also differences in that I'm not trying to make a story out of myself. Now, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think it was always like relating the past moment to other past moments. Whereas the story that I would create now would be by living life and having the story in the moment, moment to moment, as opposed to like thinking back. So, in order to be creative, one has to forget about the last moment and keep going. It's not like we can stop going, just it's a movement of life. So yeah, it would be the difference between retrospecting and making it into a story of the personal self versus walking. <laughs> you know, this is a story, walking through the forest and being able to create new words so I'm not making the word energy into words about the self and storing them in memory to compare them to the next moment. Uh, so I think it shows the process of the brain changing and not creating more story of the self like making the self something meaningful to make a story about. Um, now I don't see it this, that way. I see forgetting 
as more important than remembering. And there's still a lot of meaning and insights, but it has nothing to do with making a story about me. And maybe one day I'll feel like making a story about this story or something, but it would mainly only be worth telling if other people thought so. Not using thought energy to create this story moment, moment to moment. Like the self has no meaning. And so I was using a lot of that energy to attribute meaning to the self and the story of me and what's happening to me in this continuity. And, and by doing that with that energy, the self eventually explodes. So it is part of the mechanism. And once the brain learns to not put energy into that self-story making, then any type of crisis, energetic crisis, isn't really felt to be about the self. So there's no self to get depressed. There's no self to get manic. It's a uh, human organism moving through space and time. I don't know where I am now. So it was interesting to listen to and and get a sense of the difference. It's the first time listening to that in over seven years and I can see the difference of being like, well I saw this stick and that stick, you know, so part of that was, was synchronicity, but again, the synchronicity was being used in service of the story of a personal self that's not there. So if all that energy goes into something that's not there, um, that's not real, it's blowing up that unreality so eventually it's seen as not real. Sometimes it's there invisibly, but there's again no... There's again no movement of like and dislike which is movement of the self. So any any energy that doesn't go towards the movement of the self is kept within the realm of the movement of life itself. It's like we're not this separate self, we are life itself. So from self to life itself. Like this whole movement of being here now isn't some kind of separate thing. Oh, so I didn't talk about this other thing that I wrote down today. This is a bit of a complex one, but I realized I've been thinking or having this question in mind about why is science measurement? And David Bohm brings this up in one of his videos on YouTube where he's talking to people in a conference. He says there's no reason why science should be measurement, but it is. We measure things in order to see if they are repeatable and predictable. So if they're repeatable, we can predict with it. If it's not repeatable, we can't use it for prediction which is 
So things that are repeatable we can use. Now this is the new thing that I saw today involved in this is that for, it came to mind that you know there's the placebo effect and that can happen when a person knows what one is one thing is supposed to do like one takes a sugar pill and thinks it's a pill for the heart and one gets better and I would say that's because of, of perception. Perception itself has an action and then there's it's involved in the material process of taking the pill. So there's a material part, but there's also a perceptual part. So then I'm thinking to myself, or something came to mind, where when they do science, the gold standard is a double blind, placebo controlled. And I was realizing that double blind means no perception involved on the part of the scientists, because if there's perception of what group is what, it will influence the outcome, because perception itself has a biological effect. Without even the molecules involved. So double blind, placebo, mean meaning taking some kind of inert substance that doesn't have the, the medical biological ingredient or whatever kind of trial it doesn't always have to be like a medical trial but the scientists in the group they're all blind double blind until the results at the end so there's no there's no attention being paid when the experiments going on to like there's no observer so one could think of it as there's no camera in the double slit experiment making it into making it into um, a particle or a material. It's kind of like keeping it as a wave because nobody's looking. So what I realized is that If one really thinks about it, when we're lost in thought, we're not being attentive to the moment now. The mind isn't actually looking. Or we're looking through, through thought, which influences the moment. But what I realized is like, why would they want to know what's going on when nobody's looking? Because like when, when one is looking, when one is paying attention moment to moment those experiments wouldn't work what they're trying to see is what goes on when nobody's paying attention so if if the world can be in such a way that it diverts our attention to whatever distracting us if we're distracted we're not looking at the experiment of the moment it's you know the the world is unfolding in a double blind and then this makes sense as to why people who are really attentive and really present and really watching each moment are not affected in the same way by scientific thought anything that's created by scientific thought 
Most people, most things that are involved in scientific thought, or most of the scientific thought that's created, is when nobody's looking. And if we're lost in thoughts of the self, that isn't a real structure. <laughs> the self, which is nobody, is looking. And when nobody is looking, when thought is looking, we're affected by all of these scientific things. Because those experiments are done when nobody's paying attention. But the thing is that when one works towards being attentive, moment to moment, those scientific things, they don't work. So one can literally be completely immune to, you know, scientific thought or like things they say are toxic or whatever. We're immune to the words that are created in a double blind. You know, the universe isn't blind. And then when we're looking at the universe with the universe moment to moment, the scientific thought doesn't apply. And when we're doing that enough, we get into a different type of energetics that has nothing to do with material cause and effect. You know, material cause and effect is sort of a Newtonian scientific viewpoint. And when, when, when they're looking at things in terms of a double blind, they're trying to see what Newtonian things happen when nobody's paying attention. And not paying attention is the same as thinking. So, like, why do they want to create... Why do they want to create science in terms of repetition and prediction? Because that's the only way control can happen. So, if we're paying attention, we can't be controlled. Because it's not rep repetition and it's not a reflex of memory. So, when one is fully paying attention in the moment... It's co-created with the universe, which is something new, which can't be predicted or repeated. So, yeah, it seems pretty messed up. And that's why one can say, no, that won't affect me or life itself. So none of that can affect life itself. And the people who are really aware, moment to moment, don't get lost in those scientific structures of repetition and, you know, projection and um, yeah, repetition and prediction. So in a way, like, you know, when the media puts out some kind of mass fear-based thing, they can predict how we'll react because they've conditioned us and and we don't realize that thought that's been conditioned is repetition, projection and thus prediction thus we act predictably and we can be controlled so when you think about so-called mental health crisis it's because uh, they can't predict what we're going to do. 
we can't even predict it. And then we feel out of control. But we are out of control. We're out of the control of the whole big systemic condition structure of thought, which is a field of energy that we're all immersed in. It's like an electromagnetic force field. And when we move too far outside of that, we get the shock. We get the shock that we were... There's nobody in control. There's no controller. And we're... We're unpredictable and we're spontaneous. Spontaneous means we don't even know what we're going to do ourselves. Um, so we need to learn this art of spontaneity. You know, Krishnamurti would call it the unpremeditated art. It's the art of unpremeditation. All premeditation is part of the structure of thought, and that premeditation is what makes projection and predictability. We become so predictable. And then we have the same kind of psychological structure where we're trying to predict what other people are thinking. And if we can predict that, we can premeditate how to act next. Um, so we need a kind of science of spontaneity. The science of, of unpremeditation. Thought is premeditation. So, you know, when we're in a state of so-called mania, we're really in a different algorithm of the brain that is spontaneous, acts right in the moment now. And uh, learning that art, which could be, which could be knowing when it's safe to be spontaneous. So spontaneity requires forgetting all of our premeditative actions, all the actions we sort of planned out, all of our habits. So I really like Steve Pavlina's deep dive into abundance, but I, I feel like I still apply things that he said to, you know, my own way of looking at things which is just a different path. One of being thrust into the other brain algorithm and then learning the art of that in a way. So he is a lot about habits and sometimes routine or buildings character of the self and things like that when I don't I don't know if it's quite that way I was talking to somebody about how we exist in relationship he was asking am I the same person who I was when I was 12 you know 20 years later am I still the same person so I asked well what's a person like and where is this person um, and then also, are you the same person when you're at work or with your friend or with uh, a boss or with a kid? Like, where is this person? <laughs> and like, why are we trying to think in terms of, am I the same person? I don't take myself to be a person at all, though I'm sure it still remains somewhat
So it's about, it's about relationship. Right now, when I'm by myself, I consider myself to be in relationship with the universe. And that's why I like when Steve talked about the relationship with the universe level as sort of being, I don't know if it's the highest level, but it's a pretty powerful level. And that's why I feel like I do have an abundance and I don't really want to go to the bottom level of trying to create financial abundance because yeah so I'm going on a journey and we'll see how things go and I feel at some point I can get outside that electric fence and then the electric fence of thought can't can't touch me it can't trick me it's a it's a trick Today, new shifter knob, yay! And last night I slept pretty well. I didn't take any CBD cream because the night before I did and it seemed to keep me in a sort of dreaming awake state. So I felt like I was sleeping but I wasn't really and I didn't feel fully asleep and there was like dream stuff going on but I was observing the dream stuff. So that was two nights ago. And I had to get up in the night and take some Zoplicone, I think. I might have taken a bit of Zoplicone, less than a quarter. I think I had to get up and take more, or I took some Benadryl or something. I don't know what I did, but... Now what I feel like I'm going to do is try the CBD cream when I'm awake during the day. Because maybe it will augment dreaming awake, which is part of the mechanism of awakening and being really awake is that the world that when we're awake becomes more dreamlike it becomes more fluid so I'm going to try that on a day where I'm not going anywhere I don't want to do that if I'm driving even if it's supposed to have very minimal effects so I'm going to experiment with that and yesterday was back to school back to work for everybody and I spent my day like this. to the dollar store and try to find one of these batteries for my fidget spinner. A little person came along and saw it in my room and press the button. I don't know if you can see that, but I had no idea that it lit up like this. 
So this year I'm starting to feel a little bit old when, when little people come in and just start figuring stuff out without even trying. They just already know. And I'm like, oh, I would have never thought to press this button. I didn't even think it was a button, but it's going to make it a lot cooler. And I also want to share that when I was home alone last week, I had a lot more calm breathing. Even though I didn't necessarily feel calm, I was breathing slower. So I think breathing slower, I don't know if it's relative that time is speeding up or what, but I think there's a certain breathing pattern for thought consciousness and when one is surrounded by that, one has to sort of mirror the breathing pattern of that. And then when it's not there, the breathing is naturally calmer, even though I didn't necessarily feel subjectively calmer. But the objectivity of my body was calmer. The physiology was more calm. And maybe there's a calmness in the physiology when one is in a state of creativity and aloneness. I don't know. And I'll show the screen recording of that. The last two days I earned over 10,000 sweat coin. So I upgraded, I think it was for five sweat coin to be able to earn 10, 10 a day, which is 10,000 steps. So yesterday I was testing it with rollerblading and I did 30 kilometers on skates and I did get over 10,000. And then they say, well, you're losing if you don't upgrade again. But I'm thinking that after today, I won't really be doing a ton of walking outside. So I wanted to have the opportunity to get over 5,000 steps and earn sweat coin, but I don't necessarily think I'll get over 10,000 enough to justify using that other bit. But possibly, I don't know. So we'll see how it goes. It's a bit of an experiment. I've had a lot of insights lately that I've written down and even driving. My brain cells are trying to figure out mechanisms of all of this. It was pretty interesting. When I was driving today, I was saying something about right now our brain is based mainly on pleasure. Which is looking for evidence of our own projections. So our projections are creating that evidence. And it's not even really there. So we're, we're earning something that's not there. Or we're earning based on something that's not there. Which is a projection of the self. And the self isn't there. We're just making certain very small limited aspects salient. Of the whole field of vision. In order to get. A boost of pleasure or dopamine or something and that's like very pinhole and limited and precise but then when our perception relaxes and we see the whole field 
now instead of a pleasure-based brain, we're based on perception, a perception-based brain. And we're perceiving the actual moment and not our projections. And that's beautiful and there's a richness there. And I don't think there's a possibility for the brain to get bored of that. I'm seeing a bit that part of the reason why we get thrust into chaos, like the self goes into chaos, it, it um, temporarily disintegrates because the universe is pretty bored with the way we're living our lives. And yeah, a lot more that I've written and I'm starting to feel like I'm making sense of it to a point where these might be helpful ideas to share. It's basically about being able to use our brain instead of our brains being used to project thought and move based on patterns. So the pattern projection is based on precognition or premeditation or motive. And that motive is installed in us. It's not, it's not there when we're born. So learning how to use our own brains for perception versus projection is, is a big part of it. I just got an email from the sweat coin people saying that my 44 sweat coin last week was in the top percent of earners. So that gives me some kind of idea. I did do a lot of walking and I probably won't be doing that much this week. And I stopped to change my car insurance because I'm working more this month and I'm underinsured for working that much. So. The good thing about that was I got some sushi, a yam roll, from a sushi place in the same complex, and it was so delicious. I took it with me. I don't like eating sushi at the restaurant if I can help it, because I'm so messy. Don't know how to use chopsticks. I use my hands. So I took it with me, and then I felt hungry, so I stopped to eat it before I drove out this way. I'm just at the park because I'm facilitating today and I'm looking forward to it. It's the first day of this workshop.
and just sitting here I don't have to be there for an hour so I want to get myself in the facilitator heart set I do like facilitating groups because it's it's kind of fun and I wrote down the definition my definition of the facilitator I want to be that I created when I took different facilitation training online recently has nothing to do with what I'm <clears throat> facilitating today and I wrote the definition um, I energize the potential of learning understanding meaning making and transforming in a helpful compassionate and empowering way I am humble and approachable and that makes possible healing creativity and a new way of living in a safe space and I wrote those things down because some of those things I'm not or I don't feel like I am I don't feel like I'm super approachable some people are just so approachable and I want to be that way I want my energy to be that way and I do want to facilitate people learning for themselves and learning how to facilitate that which is not about telling people what to do so I've done a lot of facilitating learning for myself over the last couple of years and hopefully I can bring that into this space because I haven't facilitated this workshop in a long time and the insurance agent was kind of cute too that was a bonus last night I played ultimate frisbee and it was so much fun and last night I also had a bad dream that I could feel these hands grabbing me and cutting me and I remember sort of realizing it's okay because I can go into the emptiness and then also realizing it was not real or it was a dream so I wasn't afraid so releasing the fear helped me to wake up and today I realized my brain's been seeing a lot but I realized that what I've been talking about with myself about functioning without executive functioning could be similar to what Krishnamurti's saying about meditation being unpremeditated art premeditation comes from kind of the prefrontal cortex it comes from that algorithm of deciding based on concepts and perception is required for unpremeditated art so how does one act without premeditation without pre-planning And I think that's part of what we need to learn to do. To undo the doer. Of course it's used somewhat, the executive functioning, but... I think I've said the same thing a million different ways, but...
And I have to share a little bit of my story in this workshop and talk about my journey in the last seven years after having a diagnosis. And I realized too that the whole mechanism of the structure of being pathologized and being labeled bipolar after five minutes in front of a psychiatrist seems to me to be the brain going back to wanting to know right away what's going on. Not being able to sit in the unknown. So a lot of times in so-called mania and psychosis, we're in this world of the unknown. And after a while, it's really hard to handle being in the unknown, especially when surrounded by the known. So the brain is okay with being in the unknown for a while, but eventually one's like, well, what's happening? What's happening to me? And then when we get captured by psychiatry, it's the brain wanting the immediate answer to that question. So psychiatry, psychiatry, in a way, fulfills our need to know right away what's happening. What's going on with me? What's happening to me? Am I going crazy? And they're kind of like, yep, you are. Here's your diagnosis. And then, in a way, it's sort of a relief. Like, oh, okay, it's just mental illness. I don't have to be in the unknown anymore. Be in a state of not knowing what the heck is happening from moment to moment. Because when we're in that state of the unknown, for the first time at least, we we get into the space, we're in the unknown, but at the same time, the knowing part of the mind is making a story out of it. So it's trying to make associations, make connections, and say, well, I, I know what's happening. It's this story. It's this story about me, and and eventually... As the moments go on and one is creating a, a bigger and better story, one starts to feel somewhat grandiose or special and one starts to feel like, oh, I'm so grandiose and special, maybe somebody's watching me because it feels like I'm in the Truman Show or something. If somebody's not watching me, they should be because this is entertaining. But it's really the universe being entertained by us. That's not the only factor. It's so complex, but... The brain... can start to learn how to remain in the unknown. And be okay with it. And not have to make some kind of coherent story out of it. One can't make a story for oneself. Maybe some kind of outsider objectively could put together a linear story, but I don't think the one living out in the unknown can do that. But we're in a dual state when we first go in there and we're making a story like we usually make up stories in, in regular consciousness, but we're making a story about a self, but the trouble is there is no self there. It's an abstraction, it's a concept. 
So to make a big story and make something special out of something that's not even there, it's bound to implode. And when the story gets so big, it eventually collapses and turns into, well, if you thought you were a special self, now you're a mentally ill self for making yourself so special. And I also realized too that the sense of getting special messages is partly because one feels like a self again. So the sensation of getting a special message is that the message is special for me. But the trick of that is there is no me. The me is an accumulation of memories. So I can think of, I'm getting special messages and that means there's this special story happening. Um, it's not that there's nothing special or powerful going on, but the problem is it in attributing it to the small self. So the other way, another way to look at it would be if I'm seeing special messages, I could see it as a text message from the universe. So if I see some kind of message that seems meaningful, I could see it as a text message from the universe. So if I think about getting a text message from a friend, any one of my friends, I could think, well, that makes me special that they sent me a message, but it could just mean that they're my friend. They're my friend and not making anything special about me out of the interaction because in essence, there is no self. And that's like a spiritual concept if you want to say that, but it's not a concept, it's a truth. So when one lessens action based on the self or premeditation, which is a function of the self, the executive functioning of the self, then Then one sees it as the brain making something salient. And what what is the, the beauty and the awe-inspiring part is the power of the universe. Especially when it starts to befriend us. Or show us that it's friendly. And that we're part of that friendly universe. So it relates to Albert Einstein's question, is this a friendly universe? So getting special messages could mean this is a friendly universe not that I'm special it could be the universe showing us that it's friendly because a lot of times the projections of our thought show us that the universe is a fearful place and so a message they don't really feel as special when one realizes that there is no specialness in the self doesn't mean there's nothing meaningful it means everything is meaningful <laughs> except the one thing that has no meaning which is putting some kind of separate entity of self at the forefront so then everything has meaning and then in that way too the the sense of special messages declines too because the whole field is so beautiful and and the universe might present 
certain things in awareness and in mind that are super beautiful like a butterfly flying or an ant crawling or certain pattern of in the clouds and that has nothing to do with me but if I if one works to decrease the specialness of the self then one can really be with the beauty of the universe so the problem with mania sometimes is attributing the beauty of the beauty of the universe to the concept of self and to that structure which builds executive functioning and then that increases our sense of needing to do something oh there's a beautiful wasp scram There is a butterfly way over there. So yeah, I've been seeing a lot and I wrote down some stuff. I wrote down, I earn meaning, not money. My brain cells earn meaning in a way, they create it. They, they pay for it and they earn it. They pay with attention and earn meaning other than thought constructs like that. Butterfly down yonder. It's kind of flying closer. And this is something else I want to get into, but it will take some time to unfold. There's the butterfly. I don't know if I got it, but right on cue. I was thinking about how in chemistry and stuff, they arbitrarily assign particles to be either positively or negatively charged. or like a magnet to have a north and south pole. And I'm wondering if if that could be like the two aspects of reality are are soma and significance to borrow Dr. David Bohm's terminology, meaning soma like physical objective and significance like the meaning. So soma would be particle and, and significance would be wave. So everything has is a particle and it also has some kind of meaning that is subtle. And I don't know where I'm going to go with that exactly, but I'll talk about that more because I 
I'm pretty sure I already talked about the double blind placebo thing. Double blind placebo controlled. And I wrote down, diagnosis is not game over, but game on. If you perceive something, you earn meaning, which is new, that you've never thought before. can hear a very unique bird call. I don't know if I've ever heard it before. I was thinking about being one with the universe and bringing that energy into the group and then that's when I started to hear that bird call. It's sort of like my favorite one I heard in that other park. The one that goes wee wee wee. But this one is different. I've never heard it before and I wonder who even has ears to hear it. Who even thinks it matters to listen? And if we don't listen, does it exist? It doesn't exist within the field of human consciousness. Then we don't even notice what we're destroying. I hear you birdies.
lately. I've been getting to sleep earlier and getting up earlier. And I'm finding by doing that, I'm more tired when I do go to sleep at night. So I think that's good. I'm going to keep trying to get to sleep before 10. Last night, I got some sushi for dinner and then just stared at Downton Abbey for like hours. Kind of looking forward to be finished the whole series again. So then... I won't keep watching it, but I really like that show. And I still have had a bit of a stomach issue this last week, so taking some oil of oregano. And I like to put it in a capsule, an empty capsule, because it's pretty nasty stuff. It's pretty hard to swallow. So I just put five drops in here. Close the cap. It's only like that much. That way it doesn't get all in my mouth. Kind of burns. It's doable, but swallow with liquid. Well, I prefer to put it in an empty cap. And today, I'm not really going anywhere, so I'm going to try the CBD cream during the day. See what it does. I put it in this thing because it was separating out in the other jar that it was in. It doesn't seem to really separate in this. It's not too bad. It was just separating out in that pump. So this is transdermal cream which is to be used on the back of the hairline here. So I'm just going to take some. So apparently there's a bunch of sort of open nerve endings here. I don't know exactly what the right term is for them. I have to look it up and do some research. My friend who created this stuff, he has done a bunch of research and he did send me the paper on this. There's even a an acronym for this back of hairline at the back of the skull area here, but I don't know what it is. I feel like mostly right now it's going in my hair. So I gotta give it a good rub in because it's supposed to be transdermal so going through the skin and if it's all in my hair it's not really going to do that so I'm not sure how much this stuff helps me at night I feel like it was making me still do the dream awake thing and since I talked to myself about sometimes it feels like we go into a dream awake while awake why not Use this stuff while awake. See if it creates more dream awake or insight or perception or less perception. I have no idea. So I may as well use quite a bit. This seems like a lot. Actually, I put a little bit right here, too. Why not? Because I've watched videos online where people talk about cleansing the pineal gland and they stick like turmeric or turmeric, however you want to call it, on their third eye and they do all this stuff to cleanse it out. 
I also have haritake powder, which is supposed to do that too, which is taken in, well, it's a powder form. I put it in a cap because I used to take the powder in a glass and it made me throw up. So, putting lots of this cream on. Um, gets it right in my brain, I guess. And I'm not sure where else I could put it because I have a little bit left here. Yeah, maybe I'll just put it here. So yeah, that's quite a bit of it. And it's just a, a daytime experiment instead of a nighttime one since I really don't think it helps me sleep. What's helping me right now is taking the quarter zoplicone and 150 milligrams trazodone and 50 milligrams of quetiapine along with taurine and glycine and zinc and and sunflower lecithin. So those are some things I'm taking for sleep and I'm going to keep taking that sort of thing until I go to California because I need to keep sleeping well until I go. So yeah, I'm also drinking some ginger tea because of my stomach. It's a little bothersome. Yeah, I don't feel, fully feel like talking to myself today, but I feel like I might get into writing a bit more. I'm trying to sell my old car today and I just tried to start it and it wouldn't start. So I'm gonna have to troubleshoot that because somebody's coming to see it in about six hours. And tomorrow I facilitate and I also see my doctor and I see my GP now for mental health and I wanna ask her for more Zoplicone and not more Nazanin because it didn't work and see if she'll give it to me. As well as three months prescription to last me when I'm in California and I have extra medication Plus, I don't think I'll have to take as much for that long when I go down there. So, just increase, increasing my stash so I can self-direct what I want to take and when I want to take it and move with the ups and downs and the flow of whatever this is all about. Let's see if I have anything to talk about. What I want to talk about now is I think I want to start to write something about what I've been talking about with myself and I think the part that I want to write about is this possibility of operating without a self which I feel the self is really tied into executive function as we typically know it and think about it. And I feel it's possible that we can learn to function without that and eliminate a lot of the problems that the self-structure brings up. And especially for people who have that part of functioning break down and they're called mentally ill. So... 
I remember reading something recently or a while ago on how a lot of the problem with somebody who is diagnosed with schizophrenia, for example, is that they lose cognitive functioning. I think I talked about it before, and their cognitive functioning goes down to like the bottom 5% of the population or bottom 1%, something really, really low. And so I feel that a fact that the fact that that diminishes so so um, markedly in people that get diagnosed with schizophrenia and, and maybe bipolar sometimes too. They're doing things right now like cognitive remediation. They're trying to make that a major part of recovery because of because of the fact that cognition goes down so low. People really have trouble functioning. People have trouble doing acti activities of daily living, like their laundry and, and things like that. But I feel like it's possible to, to go a different way and, and use a different part of the brain for those same functions. So the same part of the brain, the same functions like doing laundry or doing whatever, um, a different part of the brain could be used. And in that way, the person might not be at risk as much in losing those functions. Or if one learns to function with both, executive functioning as we know it as part of mainly the prefrontal cortex, plus this other type of functioning, then, then a person would be doubly protected and so this is especially for people who lose that executive functioning, which I think is tied into the self. And I think one of the reasons why this happens to people is because of the, the illusion of self and the falsity of it and so many different things. But the fact of the matter is that it does decline in so many people who get diagnosed with a so-called mental illness to the point where they're thinking that it's more cognitive now than even emotional, for example. And I don't know that for sure, but um, another part that's missing in doing something like cognitive remediation, which could really help people, I'm not saying it doesn't, but it's so meaningless, the activities they, they uh, put forth, that they pretty much have to convince people to do them. Like say this is going to help you get a job or this is going to help you blah 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 it's like really trying to coerce somebody into doing that and it doesn't seem that interesting so the other part of it I think is that um, I don't know what I was going to say with that at all I forget maybe the CBD cream is kicking in so I might leave the rest of this part for later but See if it comes back to my mind what I was going to say about that. Well, something else for sure. I, I remember before I started talking to myself, when a crisis was about to hit for me, 
I'd be doing something on the computer and I'd have a really hard time like finding a list of emails or creating a list of people's emails out of different emails or something like if I had to do that for work. I literally couldn't remember and I couldn't do it and then I felt like I, I felt like I couldn't see was the thing. I felt like I was sort of zoomed in and I couldn't see what was right in front of me. Like it became this big this big blind spot and I feel like when that happens, it's really challenging for someone to, for me, it was hard to do these complex tasks on the computer and things, but um, now that hasn't happened to me so much because I feel like now when my brain zooms in like that and I feel like I can't see, I'm still able to function and, and get my laundry done and, and shop for food and things like that because I've learned how to do that without that other stuff happening. Um, it's hard to explain, but I do want to try to write about about this because something I was going to say is that this is especially for people who get labeled with a mental illness and, and have cognitive decline because of that. And then it could also expand to the larger population because if people can learn how to function without the executive function, then when that starts to disappear or the self-structure dissolves, then one has something to fall back on. One knows how to operate without it because not everything is tied into the self and its executive functioning, like planning. So the difference would be a little bit that one can plan to go get a coffee or one can wake up in the morning, realize that one wants a coffee and go get it. So there's no planning. It's waiting for that impulse to arise in the moment. So like, whereas a lot of stuff that we do, we plan like, oh, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this. And it's that movement of planning, that sort of treadmill that we go by in order to, that's, that's moving at the same time that we're actually doing it and we're doing something different while we're planning the next thing. So this would be, not planning anything, having that impulse to get coffee in the morning and then going to get it and not planning, well, now I'm going to, next I'm going to do that and then that and that because then the planning movement is tied in with the doing of other things. And I think when that planning and executive functioning breaks down, we lose our ability to do other things. It's like we can only, we can only do things out of habit and the habits are what are moving us. And then um, while we're planning something else, we're moving habitually. And so when we lose that sort of structure that isn't even congruent because we're not fully present when we're doing something, then um, we can't do anything. So learning to be fully present while doing something and not thinking about the next you know, not having the self going while doing something actually, we can learn to do things actually without the self going. And I think that's what could be really important because then our self is tied in with everything that we do and we don't really need it as much as we think we do. Um, I might try to do an experiment. Well, I kind of did it through the summer a bit that I didn't really plan anything. I just got up and went and just drove and, oh, I'm hungry, I'll stop here. So 
that could have been partly that. So it could be, it could be important sometimes to, to do that, to do a bunch of stuff without planning. And I don't know if planning's the right, um, like the precognition, the premeditation, doing things without premeditation. Because part of what the self is, is that premeditative structure. Oh, planning to say this and planning to do that. We plan out what we're going to say. I don't really know what that's like anymore because I don't have any kind of conceptual planning of what I'm going to say before I say it ever. Um, but I do remember that before. So we don't even know that we can act without planning things. So the self, which is part of the planner, that's what gets destroyed and then we don't know we don't know how to be without that planner, that conceptualization. We've been living our whole life as a concept and not as an actuality. So that's part of what breaks down in people who lose cognition through a mental health diagnosis is that, um, that conceptualization of living as a self and functioning through a self, which is all part of executive functioning and, and premeditation, is gone. We don't know how to act without that. So this unpremeditated art that Krishnamurti talks about, um, that's really important for us all to learn because I think that would be a big solution to a lot of the, the brain problems that we're seeing now. So... Yeah, like the brain right now is used mainly as a recording and projecting device. So when the capacity to record or project, which is part of conceptualization, you know, and projecting ourself into like a concept into the actuality, when the brain stops being able to do that because the brain cells that contain the memories break down, we don't know how to do anything. But that doesn't necessarily have to be so. Um, we can learn to live by perception action. We can, we can stop the brain from recording and projecting before it, it stops being able to do that through breakdown, through old age and things like that. So, um, this actually, I feel is a reversal of so much of what we take for granted of of how we communicate, like based on stories and what happened and, and stuff like that. Um, we would still be able to do that, but it would be, it wouldn't be the main way that we communicate. It would come up in context, but it wouldn't be the way that we, we generally communicate. We would communicate more for cooperation and co-creation than to reminisce on the past. Like it's whole, it's all part of how we make the past so important and we make the past that has we make it so oh the past has something to do with the present moment when that's not necessarily true and so a lot of these things that I've realized over the years are I think part of Krishnamurti's teachings and so maybe I'll I'll work on comparing some of these things to some of these experiences and when we can understand them in a different way Perhaps they're not pathology, but the path, which is a pathless path of not projecting a self-concept into reality. 
And it could get projected into reality, but we're not having that happen all the time. And we're not even the ones that choose when that happens. And it, it could be partly invisible to us as well. And, yeah. And one of the things I think has to do with is not having a theory of mind. So anyway, I'm going to sign off for now. Maybe I'll talk a little bit more later if I feel all weird on the CBD cream. But for now, I will move on to something else. Thank you for listening to Bipolar Inquiry. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, use your voice, craft your consciousness, embody your potential, enter a quantum paradigm. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information in this show is not medical advice. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.